Again, thank you for, for joining uh, us in, for the Sunday School on the Bible and politics. I wish we were in a small room, it could be more intimate, more likely to have a conversation across the table rather than this large auditorium, but this is what we have and I'm grateful for it all the same. My name is Dale Lavoie. Again, I've been, my wife Karen and I have been part of GCF now for about 10 years. Uh, we lead a, a home group on the north side, just about five minutes from here. Um, so please, if there's any questions, any comments, please don't hesitate to hop right in with a question or comment. So the first week, two weeks ago, we went through the gospel and the politics, uh, and again, that's out of the whole series, um, priority. How do we address people with whom we disagree on political issues, for that matter, on any issue? How do we, how do we disagree and have deference to one another, and, and have, how do we wisely bring up these issues with non-Christians? Last week, we talked about the Christian worldview. Now, why are we getting to worldview? Any, any thoughts on why, we, why would we talk about worldview? That seems awfully meta. It, worldview is tied into politics and how we view life. Absolutely right. So our worldview dictates our values, how we view the world, how we understand the world to work, and certainly has relevance for politics. And that brings us, so last week we talked about viewing the world in light of God's self-revelation. Like Dave said this morning, God, we are grateful that God reveals himself. If he were not to reveal himself, we would not have any understanding about this God that created the world. So this week we're gonna get into competing worldviews, viewing the world while at war with reality. Why would I say that? If I say that, as, and we'll get into this, pantheism says that all of us are actually one. Well, hold it, that's at war with reality because you don't know what's going on in my head. We are not one. So they're making a statement that's at war with not only reality but our lived experiences. Uh, next week we'll get into, so that th th last week and this week we're talking about the overall worldview differences and then next week we're gonna get into the difference, how do we perceive politics, civics from the standpoint of looking at the Bible, how do we understand this issue? After that we'll talk about a theology of the civil government and we'll get into our, our first topic about anything that could be construed as policy I suppose and talking about rights. What is a right? We hear the word rights. What is a right? So again, to recap our, our plan throughout this whole series, and I'll recapitulate this because it bears repetition, that our first goal with this is that we would honor and rejoice. Honor and rejoice. Those are two two sides of the same coin that we'd honor and rejoice in God as our, as our creator, sustainer, judge, and as redeemer and in the good news of his kingdom. Secondly, after, that's our priority. As believers, my priority is not to make sure that my neighbor has the same politics. My priority is that am I standing right before God? Am I rejoicing and honoring in, in, in him? Secondly, that we would prioritize the gospel to others. If I see God's grace to me, I will be compelled to show a measure of grace to my friend, my neighbor, my, my uh, brother. So that brings us to the plan, the third, third part. How do we consider how we come to political positions? And that comes to, again, our, our topic about uh, comparing worldviews.
So what is a worldview? Uh, this is from the book that I've been citing, and again, James Sire's book, The Universe Next Door, a basic worldview catalog. Um, highly commend it uh, to your reading. Certainly everything that I'm going to is very surface level. I'm merely trying to provoke you. I'm trying to put a pebble in your shoe. I'm trying to provoke you to read more and to discuss this amicably with one another. So what is a worldview? Essentially this, a worldview is a commitment, a fundamental orientation of the heart can be expressed as a, as a story or in a set of presuppositions. What's a presupposition? Assumptions which may be true, partially true, or entirely false, that we hold consciously or unconsciously, consistently or inconsistently, about the basic constitution of reality, and that provides the foundation on which we live and move and have our being. So worldview of crucial importance to this whole topic of politics, worldview very crucial to, our whole, to the whole topic of life in general. So when we talk about what is a worldview, again, I know this is a little bit of recapitulation from what, where we were last week, but for those of you that weren't here, uh, we went through the Christian worldview and talked about the basic commitments that a worldview makes. And here's, here's the rub. Everybody has a worldview. Either you realize it or you don't. Either you're consistent or you're non-consistent. And, e and that worldview either relates to reality and our lived experience, or it doesn't. So what are those prime commitments? I'll go through these fairly quickly. What is prime reality? Is there God? There's no God. We are all gods. What is prime reality that we are, we are talking about? What is the nature of external reality? Is it created? Is it autonomous? Is it chaotic? Or is it inherently guided by a providential and wise hand? External, that's external reality. Next, what is a human being? Is a human being um, uh, a naked ape? Is a human being uh, a conglomeration of, of atoms? And really, have, do I have the same value as a pile of carbon? Are we of equal value? Is that all that is? Or are we in the image of God? What happens to us to death? Do I just cease to exist like a hard, like a, a famous atheist said? Your brain is like a hard drive. You die, the hard drive is erased, and you are no more. Or because we're made in the image of God, do we go? Do we have? Is there consequences for our life that go on through eternity? Very different implications. Is it possible to know anything at all? Does God reveal Himself as the author and authority of all the universe, or? Do I sit here speculating in my brain? Well, what I speculate in my brain may be different from how you speculate, and we can never come to an agreement. Therefore, knowledge is impossible. How do we look at right and wrong? Can we say, stop stealing that person's purse? Well, hold it, based on what? Is there, a, a, how do we make these determinations? Uh, what is the personal life-orienting core commitments consistent with this worldview? My creator has revealed himself to me, and I am grateful, and I am moved by love and humility. Or, um, it, it's the survival of the fittest. We are merely an, uh, the end point of evolution. What's, what's the one moral of survival of, the fit, of, of, of evolution? Survival of the fittest. That's the single moral you can come up with from, from materialistic evolution. Survival of the fittest. There's no other morals. Stealing, that's, that's, a, that's irrelevant. Survival of the fittest. Your core commitments 
guide us as a people and as a church, as a society. All right. So again, reviewing very briefly, Christian worldview, viewing the world in light of God's self-revelation, that provides the basis to understand This provides the basis to understand how reality is and our, 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 our lived experiences. And it's, again, it's not just politics. It's all areas of knowledge, including biology, astronomy, economics, aesthetics, ethics, law, psychology. Every endeavor of man, is, it has, there is implication for your worldview. So what is the outcome of a, God, of a world made by an intelligent God who interacts with us. The outcome is that we find the only foundation, for, and I'm making lots, again, I realize throughout this, this series I'm gonna make assertions, and again, I'm, if I can prompt you to read books that I'll tell you about, then I will have succeeded. What is the outcome of the Christian worldview? It is the only foundation for logic, science, beauty, morality, and any other area of endeavor. What's the impact of the worldview? It is the foundation for joy and ultimate fulfillment. We were created by God to relate to him and to one another. Furthermore, we talked last week about understanding a Christian worldview brings us to the the, the rock-solid understanding that Christ is Lord. He's not simply Lord over the sacred. My private private religious life over here, away from you all, he is Lord over everything. And as uh, both uh, providentially, both uh, I shared the quote and Dave shared the quote last week, there is not a single square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. So this is a course on, this is a course on politics. I should be provoking some maybe some thoughts as to where you're going with this. And I hope I, I create a sense of at least tension that we can address. So today, we're gonna to talk about competing, competing worldviews. I'll give you a whirlwind tour of only some of the worldviews that are in our current culture. They are at war. Now, as you hear other people, as you look at headlines, as you watch movies, as you read books, as you listen to conversations, ask yourself, is, is what the, their underlying statement, are they at war with real, reality and our lived experiences? Ask yourself about, about that when you look at, watch the movies. What are the, the, the lyrics to the, to the songs you listen to? What is being communicated? The outcome is chaos and complete subjectivity. And you'll find there's all kinds of worldviews, but ultimately it, it all comes back to chaos subjectivity and meaninglessness and despair. When you, if you take a brand new car and there's the user's manual, how to use this car, and you decide to drive it off a cliff, should you be surprised when you've used that object not according to its design? If I pour sand into my gas tank and my carburetor, what will be the result? I'm so surprised, my, my car is destroyed. Who could have known? We are trying to use the car in a way it was not designed for. When we have ideas, those ideas have consequences, and we're going against the way we were made. So, 
very quickly, there are four questions as we go through this. I hope that you ask yourselves, and I think about these four questions as we go through some of these worldviews. What are the personal implications of this worldview? Have you seen any of this in the culture? What are the political implications for this worldview? What idea, now, per, the, the first one and the, and the fourth one are most important to you as a person. What ideas, attitudes, or values have we been unknowingly borrowing from these views? This is huge. I can say, I grew up Christian, I'm a, I've, been, I've been a Bible-believing Christian all my life, and not realize we've adopted a lot of views at, that are a complete contradiction to that stance. So, a great quote without thought, a fearless honesty should characterize both our self-analysis where we are now and our pursuit of truth. Is it any point when you've been a believer for 15 years, you're there? 20 years, you're there. As long as we have a, a breath to breathe in this world, we are not there. This is a journey in which we continue to learn. I remember as a, as a brand new believer, God, give it all to me now. Just, just you know, back up the, the dump truck and pour it on me. Give it to me. I'm ready. I want it. Help me understand. And it's only been through what? Experience that I realized that this is a life journey and not a single dump truck of information and understanding and wisdom. So let's briefly look at worldviews and context. The book of Acts, we have Paul going to uh, Athens. And now while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. An idol to this God, an idol to this God, an idol to this God, all kinds of idols all around the city. So Paul, standing in the midst of the, uh, the um, Oh, wow, just missed miss that word. Said, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious, for I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, and I found also an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, I pro this I proclaim to you. And he went on talk to them uh, and revealed to them, God revealed to them through Paul, praise God, about the God that they did not understand. They were, they were uh, polytheists. They believed in multiple gods. All these gods had different characteristics and different weaknesses, and they were basically pumped up humans with bad attitudes. So, and the context was the polytheists and, the, and then the monotheist view of, of Israel. That was, the, that was his culture in that day. So how about colonial America worldviews? When we talk about politics and we talk about how this country got started, where did it come from? Is our culture exactly like theirs? There were, the, the predominant worldview was Christian theist within uh, the founders. Now, within that group, there were Unitarians. Unitarians were people who believed, yeah, there is a God, but I, I don't believe the Trinity, I don't believe that Christ is divine. But their underlying worldview was that there's a creator, he is a judge, there were certain similarities worldview in that capacity, the same with theists to a degree. But let me, let me put some light on this from um, Greg, uh, The Tactics. This is a great book. It's, it's, uh, I, this is right out of the store and back. 
The phrase founding fathers is a proper noun. It refers to a specific group, the delegates of the Constitutional Convention. There were other important players not in attendance, but these uh, 55 made up the core. Among the delegates were 28 Episcopalians, eight Presbyterians, seven Congregationalists, two Lutherans, two Dutch Reformed, two Methodists, two Roman Catholics, one unknown, and only three deists, Williams, uh, Williamson, Wilson, and Franklin. This took place at a time when the church membership usually entailed sworn adherence to strict doctrinal creeds. This tally proves that 51 out of 55, a full 93% of the members of the Constitutional Convention, the most influential group of men shaping political underpinnings of our nation were Christians and not deists. Again, what are the worldviews that, that they are shaping? When we talk about the government that our founding fathers gave us, what was the worldviews that shaped theirs? So that's the, the historical context. Where, where are we with the current American worldview jumble? It's the Baskins and Robbins of, there's a, a smorgasbord of different worldviews that wasn't present in, in American colonial times, is present in our times. And it's, it's, there are, and this is only a partial list for sure. There's Christian theism, deism, naturalism, nihilism, existentialism, pantheism, new age spiritualism, postmodernism, and there's many, there's, that's, this is just a sampling. And the prevailing thought is, well, all of us have to agree, so everybody's view is equally valid. Well, it, does that work out? Do we apply that logic in any other part of life? No. Let's say I have a picture of the, of the builder of my house. Here's a builder of my house. And then I have 53 pictures of cartoon characters. Well, Dale, all those, car, all those cartoon characters have nothing to do with your house. All, all these pictures have nothing to do with your house. Ignoring the fact that the actual builder is there. So we, the fact that we have all these opinions doesn't give value to those opinions. So let's come in. Uh, let me stop. Again, I, tend, I, I realize that I, I tend to talk too quickly. Any questions or any thoughts, objections? Dan. Aptly put, there's a pantheon of gods. You know, we t our, our American genius says polytheism. That's, that's so archaic and so far ago. And yet, what's our current mentality? We need to respect everybody's gods. Hold it. Which, which way is it? So let's talk about deism. God removed. He's uninterested. He's not intervening, and this, this is, as we go through these worldviews, there's a kind of a logical degradation from, from Christian theism. It gets more and more polluted, diluted, uh, uh, um, corrupted. So what's the prime reality for, um, for deism? A transcendent God, as the first clause, created the universe, but then left it to run on its own. God is thus not imminent, not triune, and not personally or sovereignly over the affairs of men, and not providential. Again, think of those questions. What are the implications of this for me as a person, for this society, for, for politics? 
external reality, the cosmos God created is determined because it is created as a uniformity of cause and effect in a closed system. No miracle is pos possible. No miracles. There's, God is outside the box, and he can never go in the box to talk to us. That, that concept of open and closed, Christian theism is, is an open system. That means I live in this reality, and God is able to come into space and time and interact with me. The deist says, no, 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 no. You can't do that. It's a closed system. God does not ever cross that, that barrier. What are the human beings? Human beings, though personal, are not a part of the clock, are, are simply a part of the clockwork of the universe. Death, death uh, to humans may or may not bring a life beyond their physical existence. There's disagreement about, on, on that. Morality? Morality is intuitive or limited to general revelation. Because the universe is normal, it reveals what is right. See the drift taking place. Core commitments, some deists use their own autonomous reason to determine the goal of their life. Other deists reflect on the, the commitment to a somewhat personal God and determine their goals in accordance uh, with what they believe their God would be pleased with. Hold it, there we're kind of getting the spirit of the age. As long as you're sincere, God will totally take you in. So a real modern representation of this, a real insidious aspect of this comes into what's called moralistic therapeutic deism. And that's what, um, in its more Christian influence, God clearly is personal and friendly. The, there's a University of North Carolina sociologist, Christian Smith, uh, they published a massive study of religious beliefs of teenagers. Teenagers are getting their ideas from church, from, from family, and from culture. Their conclusion that most of these teenagers adhered to what they called moralistic the therapeutic deism, and it's summed up with these points. A God exists who created and orders the world and watches over human life and the earth. God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other, as taught in the Bible and by most religions. We use the Bible as moral teachings. The center of the goal is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God needs to resolve a problem. Therapeutic, uh, moralistic therapeutic deism. So my question to you, when you're anguished over something that's going on in your life, do you really see that, is this how you start to see that this is reflective of how you believe and your attitudes? God's, he just wants me to be happy. He, he's really, but he's pretty much removed from, from where I am. I know I struggle with that. Good people go to heaven when they die, according to this view. In ultimate reality, this view makes no demand on its creation to be holy, righteous, or even good. As one 17-year-old conservative Protestant said, God's all around you all the time. He believes in forgiving people and whatnot. And there's and he's there to guide us for someone to talk to and, and to help us through our problems. And of course, yeah, he doesn't talk back. Okay. Is this 17-year-old speaking for us, for you? Next, deism is unstable. Um, autonomous man 
the reason of autonomous man replaces God's. Autonomous reason replaces the Bible. Deists tend to reject the biblical notion of the fall and assume that the present universe is in its normal created state. For whatever can be known about God, this is plain, uh, this is plain to them because God has shown it to them. If you have a deist notion that you fight with in your own head, God's removed. There are plenty of scriptures testifying that God reveals. He reveals kindly, lovingly, patiently. So as we come to this, let me ask, what are your thoughts with deism? Any thoughts with implications for, your, for you as a person or a society? Or any thoughts about uh, what, how deism may have crept into our thinking? Any hands? So I, I think that uh, moralistic therapeutic deism is something that I wrestle with. I think if we're honest that, that we, we wrestle with that in, in, to some degree. So that's deism. Let's move on to, okay, God's removed, but now uh, there's a progression here, as I, as I mentioned. There's a, a comment. Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. That's, it, that's more deistic than it is Christian in, in its view, for sure. Did everybody hear that? The, the bumper sticker, God helps those who help themselves, that's a cultural comment. That's, that's making a theological assertion and statement. And then you read that bumper sticker and say, is that statement true? And Benjamin Franklin did that. So let's go on to naturalism. There is no God. There is a progress both historically and theologically from Christian theism to deism and now on to naturalism. The route is this. In theism, God is the infinite personal creator and sustainer of the cosmos. In deism, God is reduced. He, he, he begins to lose his personality, though he remains creator and by implication sustainer of the cosmos. In naturalism, God is further reduced. He loses his very existence. So what is the prime reality of naturalism? What's other words for naturalism? Naturalism, materialism, atheism, God is, there is no God. It's just material process happening upon atoms. Prime reality there is only matter. You have a, a sensation of love or anger at injustice, it's just a chemical reaction. Your chemical reaction is different from my chemical reaction. How, how, can, we, how can I have any confidence in, a, in something we call a moral or a law if it's just a chemical reaction? Prime reality is matter. Matter exists externally and, there, and that's all there is. God does not exist. External reality, the, the cosmos exists as a uniformity of cause and effect in a closed system. It's just going on like a machine. Human beings are created as complex machines. We're just complex computers. I'm a wet computer is all I really am. Lots of water, don't rust, there's iron in me, there's water, doesn't rust, and yet I'm just a, a machine. Death, death is simply, as I mentioned, the erasing of a, of a hard drive. You're, you're eliminated. Knowledge, our, uh, though our innate and autonomous human reason 
including methods of science, we can know the universe. The cosmos, including this world, is understood to be in its normal state. The cosmos is in its normal state. There's no fall. There's no brokenness with man. It's just evolution. Survival of the fittest. That's the one, more, one moral you can walk away with as an evolutionist. Morality. Morality is related only to human beings. Okay. Again, What's going on in the atoms of your head to create a moral stance may be different from mine. Who might impose my view upon you? I, he's murdering his neighbors. I, well, I, so the atoms are rearranged, but that's of no moral consequence to me if your, your child is a living conglomeration of atoms or a deceased conglomeration of atoms. How can there be a moral stance? Core commitments. Naturalism itself implies no particular core commitment on the part of any given naturalist. So, thus, in the end, there is an ironic paradox. Naturalism, born in the age of enlightenment, before the enlightenment, there were really, there were animists, there were polytheists, there were, uh, there were um, Christian theists, but this concept of naturalism was born out of the, uh, the age of enlightenment, was launched on a firm acceptance of the human ability to know. Naturalists now, naturalists find that they can place no confidence in their knowing. Psalm 14, uh, uh, sorry, um, a fool says in his heart, there is no God. That's what the fool says. All of this was made. Oh, there's no God. It's just a closed box system. And what's beautiful, look at the remainder of this verse. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. If all I have is a, a, a pile of atoms called my son and another pile of atoms called garbage, who cares what I do to either one of them? I, I've created a, a worldview of chaos and death and murder and hate. Any questions or any thoughts? Any thoughts about these questions? What? Okay, this is a big one. There's been a lot of worldviews. There's a lot, been a lot of governance around naturalism, atheism. What does this produce for politics? What? What? What state? What state? Um, what philosophy of of ruling? Marxism. I gave it to you. Marxism right there. What's the stance? Anne, you had something? I was just going to say, ultimately, might makes right. Might makes right, absolutely. Might makes right. Survival of the fittest. Help me understand how a naturalist can have any other moral aside from that. I'm, I'm out for my own. Moving on from naturalism, nihilism, there is no God, there's no meaning, no purpose, all is absurd. Um, so I won't go into details on this one, but it is a, a prevalent thought. Nihilism is more of a feeling than a philosophy, more of a solitary stance before the universe than a worldview. Strictly speaking, nihilism is a denial of any philosophy or worldview at all, a denial of the possibility of knowledge, a denial that anything is valuable. There are some nihilists. Where would we find nihilism? There's a lot in paintings. There's art, literature. Go ahead, Anne. Nietzsche. 
Nietzsche. Everything's absurd. Everything is, in the end, for the nihilist, everything is absurd. And that's the logical, this is simply a logical progression. If everything's atoms, hold it. Why have any confidence, why have any bearing at all of meaning and value as, as a materialist? Well, nihilism is very dark. It doesn't produce a lot of hope. So what's the next best thing that the atheist can produce? Existentialism, dreaming beyond nihilism and creating one's own meaning. Meaning that we as people are alone without God, this drives us to meaninglessness, but pressing on as if there were meaning. Life is really meaningless because when in the end, uh, there's universal heat death. You know what universal heat death is? The, the death, heat death of the universe? Eventually, according to evolution, the whole universe will just go cold. There'll be no memories of society, no memories of your loves, your losses, your hurts. It's all gone. But, you know, in spite of that, let's existentially say there's a reason to be a good humanitarian. I, I don't follow. Moving on, pantheism, everything is God. You are God, I am God. He is not, trans God is not transcendent, God is just us. One, God is, in, in Christian theism, God is the creator of his creation. For the pantheist, we are, God is the dancer and we are the dance. Everything is just him, it's, it's not removed. Prime reality. External reality in human beings, the soul, each and every human being is the soul of the cosmos. Many, if not all, roads lead to this one. Oh, we're, we've already talked about this sentiment. It, it doesn't matter what, what you're doing. This, again, we're, we're kind of having the same position here from a different stance. To realize one's oneness with the cosmos is to pass beyond all personality. Personality. Personality means self-awareness and self-determination. If you look at pantheism, their goal is not that different from atheism. You just die and you become one with the cosmos, which means you lose all personality. How is it different from not existing? Knowledge, knowledge of one's oneness with the cosmos is to pass beyond knowledge. It's, it's beyond understanding completely. The principle of non-contradiction does not apply where ultimate reality is concerned. We've departed. To be truly wise is to pass beyond any wisdom, any foundations for knowledge, any foundations for understanding. Ethics, to realize one's oneness with the cosmos is to pass beyond good and evil. The cosmos is perfect at every moment. All right, I'm gonna ask my question. Does this, comp does this line up with our lived experiences? Joe runs up and hits me in the head, clock, clocks me with a, with a chair. Joe, that wasn't, I can't, can I really say that was good or evil? No, I'm being reintroduced to oneness in some capacity. Uh, death, death is the end of the individual, personal existence, but it changes nothing essential in individual's nature. Core commitments, core commitments among individual Eastern pantheists may vary widely, but one consistent commitment is by the elimination of desire to, it, to achieve salvation, that is, to realize one's union with one or the void or pure consciousness. 
In the end, pantheism looks strangely like atheism. Any thoughts? Anne. Ultimately, if, if she's going to be consistent, love is a form of good. We'll hold it. That's departing from oneness. See, this is where your worldview will either complement reality and your lived experience or contradict it. And this idea of that uh, separateness, pantheism says this illusion of separateness is something we have to enlighten ourselves beyond. We'll hold it. If we're already one, but I'm removed from them one because I, I think I'm separate. That's a contradiction of our lived experience. What are the implications for this? In pantheistic societies, how do they treat the poor? They step over them. They, oh, you know, he's living out his karma. Uh, you know, I, 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 I'm not going to help that person. He needs to live out that karma. And be, by the anyway, we're all part of one. What, where's the motivation? So, not to be confused, we don't talk about, I want to adhere to this particular worldview because it makes me a really good person. That's the wrong motivation. We adhere to a, a, a worldview because it simply, it, it, it gives the best explanation for the lived life we have. However, if we look at this, there's no, there's no, there's no underlying reason to be good as a pantheist because ultimately we're all one, it's an illusion. It's self-contradicting. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1. Now, question, where, where, what are the personal implications? Have we seen this anywhere in culture? All right, really cool uh, series of movies, at least the first few. Star Wars, The Force. God is not a personal thing. He's like electricity, and we're all really part of it, the force. Did that concept of the force have any cultural impact? Did it really, did it, did it do anything for the individual people living in society? Of course it did. It formed their worldviews of reality and warped them. Thoughts have implications. Any thoughts with that? New Age. This is so, pantheism was kind of codified by Hinduism, by Buddhism. Now we get into New Age spirituality. Spirituality without all the hang-ups of a formal religion. And this was, I, I, I would say, much larger in the 60s, 70s, 80s. But the mindset still persists. This mindset of whatever you believe, it's cool. It's cool. Well, hold it. We have that in deism. We have that in atheism. We have that in pantheism. This is, there's a reoccurring theme here. Whatever you believe is just fine. Prime reality, external reality, and human, and human beings. Whatever the nature of human being, uh, 
the self is the kingpin, the prime reality. As human beings grow in their awareness and their grasp of this fact, the human race is on the verge of a radical change in human nature. Even now we see harbingers of the transformation, transformed humanity and the prototype of their new age. External reality, the cosmos, while unified in the self, is manifested in two dimensions, the visible universe accessible through ordinary consciousness and the invisible universe accessible through altered states of consciousness. Knowledge and ethics, the core experience of any new age is cosmic consciousness, that's pantheism, in which ordinary categories of space-time and morality tend to disappear. Hold it, we're back to, we're back to pantheism. We're getting away from rationality altogether. We're getting to out there, I'm just one, very attractive and lulls you to sleep as to your need to bend the knee to Jesus Christ. Christ has been extracted from deism farther and farther and farther in these worldviews. This is a progression of degradation in the mind. Death, death is not the end of self. Under experience of cosmic consciousness, the fear of death is removed. Prime reality. I'll skip to the third, the conceptual relativist version in which the cosmic consciousness is the conscious activity of mind um, a mind using one of many non-ordinary models for reality, none of which are any truer than the other. There's no moorings, there's no, there's no foundation. It's just whatever you believe is great. What's the implications, or let's see, knowledge? Human beings can only understand reality because in the state of God consciousness, they directly perceive it. Core commitments, New Agers are committed to realizing their own individual, individual unity with the cosmos, creating and recreating in their own image. Um, Shirley MacLaine talking about being able to bring things into reality by the very thinking because she is God. That was a big thought, but still, thoughts tend not to die. We don't use the term New Ager, but the thoughts persist. So, what are the implications of this? Anybody want to fire off an implication personally for, for society? Dan? You can create your own reality. Gender identity. Everything's a con if everything's simply a construct of our mind, I can create my own reality. Gender has no meaning because it's a construction. There is no God to say that you were made in, my, in his image. You're just, you, you, you create it. There's, there's, absolutely, there's, there's no bounds because you, whatever's right for you, you do you. That's the evil uh, retort of the ages, is you, you just, you do you, as long as it's not with Jesus Christ. Postmodernism, all things are imagined and unfounded. This is a very, I would say, of a conscientious, view on college campuses. This is probably the most ardently presumed. A worldview, this is a, so a, a, a postmodernist would say there are no absolutes. God is unknowable, truth is unknowable. What's, so the first question a postmodern addresses is not uh, what, what is there or how we come to know what is there, but language functions to construct meaning. In other words, there has been a shift in first things from beginning to know to constructing meaning. 
had a conversation very recently. Words are so fluid. How can you really know anything? It's all construction. What do I mean by construction? Rather than, if I say, this is a book. Well, hold it, because you're constructing languages all on your own, in your own heads differently, this may be a cow, this may be a dog, it may be, you know, the carpet. Postmodernism destroys the very basis of knowledge. And yet, this is the most predominant view within colleges. Knowledge, the truth about reality itself, forever hidden from us, all we can do is tell stories. So we can't make, we cannot make dogmatic assertions. Book. I can't do that. Why? Knowledge is unattainable. What's going on in my head is different from yours. Do you see how all, all these, these uh, competing worldviews, they borrow from each other? Every worldview has to borrow to some extent from Christianity, otherwise you're reduced to saying nothing, moving nowhere, and doing nothing. This universe is orderly by, by virtue of me walking across. That's, just, that's a physical manifestation that God created an orderly universe. Or why don't I just start flying around the room or become a cow? And, you know, there's orderliness because God made an orderly universe. Knowledge and ethics. <laughs> we'll move along here. Uh, morality. Morality, like knowledge, is a ling linguistic construct. Social good is whatever society takes it to be. So with postmodernism, it's not about truth. It's about the narrative. It's because there is no truth. I want power. So truth is, is a power play. It has nothing to do with understanding reality as it really works. So James Barnett was the former New York Times general editor, and he's writing as the former editor uh, for The Economist. He said, there is no such thing as object within the editorial room of The New York Times. With all the bigwigs there, he said, there is no such thing as objective truth. There is only narrative. Therefore, whoever controls the narrative has the whip hand. He's basically saying the New York Times, we are whipping people into our narrative. What is the narrative? I'll leave you, I won't go there at this moment, I don't have the time. But we have a worldview which says truth and reality don't matter. We need narrative. So moving along, morality. Morality is only opinion. I could say, Please don't rob me. But really, that's just my own opinion. You know, I, I can't foist it on you. A great quote uh, from Greg. The only consistent response of, for a relativist, a person who says there are no absolutes. Now, as we go into college campuses, the big thrust is, I need my, my uh, safe zone. I need my, what's it called? Help me out. Safe space. I need my safe space from your hateful words. Don't you dare talk in my safe space. That's a contradiction. Put, what those people can only really consistently say is pushing me morality is wrong for me. But that's just my personal opinion and it has nothing to do with you, so please ignore me. 
That should be the one response of the person saying, I need a safe space. So question, what, did we see anything common among uh, these threads? And again, I know this was whirlwind and I've already skipped some of my own notes, but were, were there anything that was, um, anything that was consistent that you saw between any of these views? I'm, I'm my own God. If deism is true, he's distant. I gotta, I gotta drive me. If naturalism is true, I gotta drive me. Throughout all of this, I'm God. So our response, what's the pathway back to reason and morality and meaning? What is that pathway? The unbelieving mind destroys the grounds of knowledge, logic, and meaning. So what is the pathway back? The pathway back to knowledge, logic, and meaning is not simply an intellectual issue. It's not an intellectual issue to say, all right, I need to become a Christian theist. Why is that? What is our core problem? So we're not looking at this from the standpoint of an atheist saying, all right, I might, I might go to Christianity because it has utility. I think uh, Peterson, uh, what's his first name? Jordan Peterson, he likes Christianity because it has nice utility for him. He may have changed his mind, but this is some time ago. He said, it has nice utility. The stories are good for us. Is it simply an intellectual thing? The pathway is not intellectual. It is a moral issue. And is it upon that moral issue that we say, you need to see your need for Jesus Christ and have faith and repent? Now, if I'm the board of a small local newspaper, or if I'm an individual, there's still an acknowledgement and a faith and a repentance, whether I do it as a single person, as a family, as a corporate, as a corporation. You know, we have been running this business immorally. What should that person do? I've sinned, who's the greatest court that I need? If I'm, if I'm the CEO and I say, you know, I've really sinned a bit against you, who's the ultimate person that I've sinned against? The creator who made me. The best repentance would be to say, I have sinned against God and he has shown mercy. And let me tell you about that. In times of ignorance, God overlooked, but now he commands all men everywhere to repent. No, just personally, just, it's your personal religion. It's just, you know, just talk about quiet. No, because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. We don't want to impose, we don't want to see our, our thought is, our, our, what we really need is a really moralistic country. That's what we should pray for. We should pray for revival. We, there needs to be a widespread revival. And the, that, the kingdom of God is that revival. Now, the kingdom of God will have effect upon society. If we have 5,000 people and all of them are atheists and they all come to faith, they will have an impact upon their internal culture. The kingdom of God is not to be confused with the kingdom of men. 
three considerations. First, consider all this from a personal confidence and faith standpoint. A worldview is a thing of worship. Look at how God has made the world and delight in him. Be grateful for what he has done. Have confidence that the whole creation cries out that God made this world. And, and, our, and we can be bolstered in our faith in that regard. Apologetics and evangelism. This has implications not only for politics and personally, for, but for, for how we communicate the truth. Whenever someone tries to deny the truth, ultimately, reality betrays them. You know, you really shouldn't steal that guy's, that, that guy's car. Well, hold it, based upon why. In a very real sense, every person who denies God is living on borrowed capital. He enjoys a living as if the world is filled with morality, meaning, order, and beauty, yet he denies the God whose existence makes such things possible. When you start with theism in the beginning, God, these uh, destinations make more, make complete sense. When you start with materialism though, in the beginning, the particles, that route takes you over a cliff to absurdity and despair. So as you think about things from an evangelistic standpoint, and um, Dave isn't here, but he mentioned a book, um, and I want to quote, when you think about conversations with those with whom you believe or non-believers, <clears throat> here's a modest proposal. Now, here's my own modest goal. I want to put a stone in his shoe. I want to give him something worth thinking about. I want him to hobble away on a nugget of truth that annoys him in a good way, something he can't simply ignore because it continues to poke at him. Give him one thing, amicably challenge his view, patiently, graciously. Worldview impacts on society and politics, we've already talked about that. All right, by way, uh, by way of resources, I've talked about Universe Next Door, I, am, I uh, owe um, James Sire a debt of gratitude, M most of my content is summarized from his book. Tactics by, by Greg Kokel, this is in the bookstore, very worth, um, I would say if this is your, if you have one, if you haven't read Apologetics, this would be your starting spot about how to have good conversations. Maybe Timothy Keller, the, the reason for God. Next, get a snap of this, this QR code. Everybody take out your phone. And if you successfully, this is, these are five minute videos by Greg Kokel on YouTube channel about how to have a conversation, how to ask questions, how to have a difficult conversation. There are only five minutes, and there's five of them. If you all watch that and, and forget everything I've said, then this will have been a success. Uh, we need to close in prayer. Our God, we thank you. We are grateful to you that you reveal yourself. You have not left us to mire in inescapable ignorance. You have revealed, and you, re you have revealed graciously in Christ. We thank you uh, for this, and we pray that you would be with us God, glorify yourself by revealing yourself to us in worship throughout this day. Thank you. Amen.